The following program is brought to you by Estelle Abraham. Today we continue with Passover music. There is so much from all over the world. While the Passover season is still with us, let's enjoy all the music today on Jewish Community Radio. Estelle Deutsch Abraham here inviting you to join me for the next hour of radio when we share that rich heritage of Jewish music and Jewish thought shared by the entire world. Sometimes Yiddish lullaby, sometimes Israel's contemporary rock beat, all kinds of Jewish musical sounds. Ladino Melodies, too, a record of Judaic-Spanish soul for over a thousand years. The energy and excitement of today's performance, scriptures at the new rhythms. With pride and pleasure, the great talents of theater and synagogue, our writers and our poets. Today you will sing with us and smile with us and learn with us. And best of all, share the world of music that has been inspired uh, by poets and writers, the ancient story for our contemporary lives, the story of Passover. Coming up later in our program, part two of my interview with Rabbi Jeremy Barris of Temple Betham in Miami. Rabbi Barris and I will discuss the future of Judaism in America. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Today, as in every one of our weekly radio programs, I'm telling you a story. If the languages you hear are not among your languages, well, never mind. The music tells its own story. And if you listen and relate, relate to the rhythm, the most obvious and infectious part of music. Also, take note of the influences of the world on our music. Then you will also come to understand and love these tunes because this music is the way, the derech, between each of us to one another. And this is the way we open up our Seder, perhaps, and this is the way we should open up our program today with Hine Matovuma Naim Shevetachim Gam Yachad. Seder means order. There is a table of contents to the Seder, a reminder of what comes next throughout the evening. Let's listen to Kadesh Urchatz from the beginning to the end, from the Oriental tradition. was from the community of Solonica, or Solonica, as some people say, Greece. Well, in Jewish homes all over the world, Pesach, Passover, has been celebrated with a Seder, to be sure. They were different in some ways for your family, for my family, 
But a central theme throughout the Seder is freedom. In this century, there are communities now in our time who are not Jewish, but who look to the Passover legend for inspiration, for the expression of their own deep longings. In music, the spiritual songs of those who have experienced bondage have become part of the musical heritage of African Americans. Let's listen with a reggae beat. Go down, Moses, and also listen for the words Michamocha, Nedor Bakodesh, which has been incorporated into this African American spiritual. In Egypt land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go. Pesach, or Pesach, or Passover in Salonika, Greece, was celebrated in one way. And the music of Pesach in Casablanca, Africa, we'll hear later on on Jewish Community Radio. Pesach in my own family included many generations and many versions of the music of the Haggadah. You'll hear my family's recording on the second half of this program. We say each week that here on Jewish Community Radio, we introduce Jewish people to other Jewish people. What we also need to say is that we introduce others to our Jewish people via our music and our interviews and our features. It does work. I hear quite often from individuals who express their appreciation for our weekly broadcast. That is why we suggest that you, our listeners, be our public relations experts. Tell your friends, Jewish or otherwise about Jewish Community Radio. Let's get on with the music because that's important to our program today from the Solanica community in Greece. An Echad Miodea, some of you may never have heard. Echad Miodea, who knows? One from the Solanica Greece community. When su piensa y entendencia alabar a Dios querencia cuáles son los tres tres nuestros padres son Abraham Isaac y Jacob dos Moshe y Aarón uno es el criador Baruch u Baruch Shemo. When su piensa y entendencia alabar a Dios querencia cuáles son los cuatro Cuatro madres de Israel, Sararitale Arachel, tres nuestros padres son Abraham, Isaac y Jacob, dos Moshe y Aaron, uno es el criador, Baruch Baruch Shemo. Cuen su piensa y entendencia alabar a Dios, querencia cuáles son los cinco, cinco libros de la ley. Cuatro madres de Israel, Sarikale Arachel, tres nuestros padres son Abraham, Isaac y Jacob, dos Moshe y Aaron, uno. 
son los seis, seis días de la semana, cinco libros de la ley, cuatro madres de Israel, Sarari, Kale, Arachel, tres nuestros padres son Abraham, Isaac y Jacob, dos Moshe y Aarón, uno es el criador, uno es el criador, Baruchu, Baruchemo. was Echad Miyodea, who knows one, from the Salonika, Greece community. And Ladino, of course, you recognized by now. Ladino and Hebrew was the language of the Balkan Jewish community. There's a new wave of interest in Jewish music on the college campuses. And here is a group from the Yeshiva College and Queens College in New York called Tizmoret. And they sing words that we certainly think of at this season of Passover, words that have always been in our mind and always been part of the Seder. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, may my hands lose, may, may my right hand lose its cunning. Something new from the American community. Shiva and Queens Colleges, the group called Tizmoret. They sang for us, If I Forget Thee, O Jerusalem. We need to tell the story of redemption. We need to tell our story to remind ourselves and our children, even our elders, of the wondrous experience of Avadim Hayinu, that once we were slaves in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. We who have crossed the sea of slavery ourselves have throughout history made symbolic water's part for others. Now in our comfort and security here, we must continue to do this. Let's see. 
Macomb, Macomb means place, and it's all over the place that we have wonderful things for you in our community. So get that pencil and paper or your calendar and jot down these things that we do recommend for you to see and enjoy culturally in our community. Here's my suggestion for this season. This year, do come and enjoy the Washington area's cherry blossoms during the day and then spend several hours of enjoyment and entertainment and fine dining at Strathmore's Music Center in Maryland. A choice of two Thursday concerts, two performances at 6.30 and at 8.30 at the historic mansion. They call it Music in the Mansion. On Thursday, April 6th, Australian classical guitarist Rupert Boyd and American cellist Laura Metcalf perform classical and pop music for the entire family. Two performances, remember, at 6.30 and at 8.30 p.m. At Strathmore's Historic Mansion, Thursday, April 13th at 6.30 and at 8.30, violinist Rachel Pine connects so well with her family-friendly interpretation of contemporary and classical music. Enjoy a lovely event, a lovely day, a most beautiful setting, the historic Strathmore's Mansion, a family-friendly concert Free parking as well after a visit to the Washington Cherry Blossoms. That's the first thing to do. Box office number 301-581-5100. 301-581-5100. Music and ideas and our interview and news on Jewish Community Radio today. Sponsored by Fitzgerald Motors. The Fitz way. There's just no better way to go. And now listen to me and my family celebrating Passover.
you got over the introduction that uh, that was my sister and myself and our children and my dad singing our Pesach medley medley because it has a little bit of everything from beginning to the end hope you enjoyed it no it's no longer in print and I can't get it to you Molly Pekan sings, and many of us agree. What does bring out the Yiddish expression in our conversation? Some of us reach for the words we know in Yiddish to make a point, to make a thought quite clear. That's because we are comfortable with Yiddish. That's because we feel and react in Yiddish. For those who know just a little Yiddish or not at all, hopefully these expressions will make it possible for you too to experience the warmth of the Yiddish language and express yourself in Mamaloshen. Stelt sich akasha, or why not, or why do you ask? We often ask each other, why does a Jew answer a question with a question? And the answer, quite appropriately, is why not? Or why do you ask? Or who says we do? Questions have a variety of purposes. To understand the world, to search out information, and others' motivations. We Jews have a reputation and a very long history for this style in conversation. For example, the Talmudic argument, oral comments, oral arguments, pro and con. Ideas are advanced by raising all possible questions. The Talmudic term for question is kushia. In Yiddish, the word becomes akasha, like the four questions of Passover, fiakashis. Some have defined the word kushia as an objection, an objection to an opinion, a contradiction, a difficulty in argument. Our Yiddish expression, which has much deeper meaning than the three words it uses, is this one, stelt zich akasha, stelt zich akasha. Stelt is stand or present. Zich is out of oneself or coming out of oneself or itself. Akasha, a question. Stelt zich akasha. Look here, now it says. We hear in these words, a question has presented itself. The result, a Yiddish discourse, a conversation, Jewish style. Asking questions, raising alternative possibilities to a situation, or even questioning assumptions has always been the usual mode of Jewish conversation. Even encouraged by parents with their children, teachers with their students. Via Yiddish, this attitude became a Jewish secular characteristic. Call it argumentative, call it inquisitive. Perhaps at times the need even for evasive behavior. Nevertheless, when a question presents itself in Jewish conversation, we do very often answer this question with a question, with yet another question. Why does a Jew answer a question with a question? Why shouldn't we? Favosnit. Why not?
music of Yehoshua Rothman takes us to the halftime of our program. I'm your host, Estelle Deutsch-Abraham. We'll be back after this music. We now continue with my interview with Rabbi Jeremy Barris of Miami. Rabbi Barris grew up in Kingston, Pennsylvania, just a few blocks from where I live. And his grandfather, Rabbi Abraham Barris, was the rabbi of my congregation, Temple Israel, for almost 30 years. The Wilkes-Barre Jewish community that you grew up in uh, is really almost gone. Uh, it's, it's, it's become quite small. Uh, now, I've been here for 36 years, uh, but it, it, when I came here, it was, still, it was still very vibrant and very strong. But the mainstream Jewish community has uh, just just either moved on or passed away. Yeah, um, yeah. And the kids haven't hung around for the most part. Uh, right. Now, that's not to say that the Jewish community in Wilkes-Barre has not grown, because in the last few years, it's grown exponentially because of the Lubavitch yeah, influx yeah. into town. Yeah. And um, it's kind of interesting to contrast those two communities. Um, and I think that uh, might might uh, be a good way to lead into talking about post-denominational Judaism, a, a, a term that you mentioned to me. People from Lubavitch and other Hasidic uh, ultra-Orthodox groups are not going to be joining together with conservative or reform congregations. They have their own thing. They're very firm in the direction they're going, and that's going to be it. So the question is, where were, where will modern Orthodox, conservative, reform congregations be in 20 or 30 years. And I know you just returned from the uh, uh, Central Conference um, Convention in Israel. I will, I'm sure these types of discussions do come up, uh, if not officially, at least with your colleagues. So I just, I, I never had heard that term post-denominational Judaism, but you mentioned it in a previous conversation we had. And I thought that's fascinating. I've always thought that this is the way that Judaism will ultimately go. So. Right. Well, you know, um, it's not my term. It's a term that, you know, uh, people like David Ellenson, who is the former president of HUC have been talking about for a long time. Um, I don't know, you know, there, there's a question of what's going to happen because of necessity and what's going to happen because it's the right thing to do and it makes sense. So in a lot of communities, I mean, look, like you said, most of the good jobs these days in the high tech era are in big cities. Mm -hmm. And so of all of the really bright Jewish kids that I grew up with in, in Wilkes-Barre, um, I don't know that any of them, hardly any of them, are still in Wilkes-Barre. Almost every single one of them is in New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C. Uh, and probably because the jobs that they wanted to do uh, are in those places. Um, and so there's been a migration. Well, if you look back now at all the, you know, what were once thriving Jewish communities but are now struggling, you know, if you look at like Tulsa, or, you know, um, uh, Peoria, you know, places like that, where you had a really nice Jewish community at a, you know, three or 400 families in the Reformed Temple, seven or 800 families in the Conservative Temple, and maybe had a little Orthodox Temple. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the Reformed uh, congregation and the Conservative congregation are looking at each other and saying, neither of us can afford to stay open. Uh, why don't we just merge? So then they merge out of necessity and they said, well, you know, half the kitchen will be kosher and, you know, half won't. And, you know, uh, we'll do Musaf, you know, the third week of the month. And <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's like, okay, so um, out of necessity, you're seeing mergers in certain in certain areas because it because it makes sense. When I was in Fort Myers, I tried to get the conservative movement to uh, the conservative shul to merge with us because we had about 350 families and they had about 100 or 150 families. And they said, together, we could be 500 families and really do, you know, have enough money to to really sustain a beautiful shul uh, as instead, instead of both of us always, you know, pinching pennies uh, because we can't afford anything. And they were not interested. And, you know, oftentimes they're 
saying, well, you're a reform rabbi, you don't understand conservative Judaism. And I would say, I want to tell you, I'm probably the most conservative Jew in this town. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so there's there's that necessity, but, uh, you know, and in Fort Myers, I was interested in necessity. In Miami, I'm trying, I'm more interested in what's right. Because today, I think where the American Jewish community is, is you're either, ortho and it's probably been this way for a long time, but you're either orthodox or you're not. Because if you call yourself conservative Jew, a conservative Jew, and I've been around a lot of conservative Jews in my life, if you call yourself a conservative Jew, the chances that you keep kosher uh, or even maintain a kosher home, and the chances that you're keeping Shabbat to conservative standards, and the chances that you ever daven or even know in your home where your tefillin is, if you even have tefillin, is not very good. Um, and so uh, what, what I was noticing is the only thing that really separated reform and conservative Jews was daven, was how we daven in shul. Mm -hmm. Because other than that, there's there's not much that's separate. And I always felt if that's really the only thing that separates us, including the other liberal movements, which aren't so profound, but Reconstructionist and you know some whatever else there is, yeah. um, whatever else that separates us is so minimal that it's not enough to say we can't all be members of the same shul under the same roof. And if, if, if that is the only thing that separates us and you have more than one room, then you can have more than one minion. And so what happened here in Miami was about two years ago. Well, the conservative, there's a conservative shul in our area and they talked to us about merging. And I was willing to do everything I could to make it happen. And we had all kinds of concessions. Uh, you know, we'll make the kitchen kosher. We'll build another kitchen. It'll be kosher. Uh, you know, whatever you need, whatever services you want. Um, and, and it just didn't work out. And after a while, because we have so much really going on at our shul, and maybe they were struggling a little bit, and their rabbi left, um, and they got a new rabbi, some of their members just started joining our synagogue. One of the reasons they started joining our synagogue was because their grandkids go to our day school because we're the only Jewish day school. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you know, I'm there all the time anyway. I'm going to third grade Shabbat and I'm going to kindergarten this and I'm going to, you know, I'm there all the time anyway. And they've got a lot going on. Um, so maybe I'm going to join there. So they did. And we started to get a critical mass of them, 20, 30 families who became full members of our shul. And they started coming to our Saturday morning minion because we have the bar bat mitzvah in the sanctuary, but we have another uh, Shabbat minion in our chapel that gets maybe 40 to 50 people. It got more before COVID, but now it's more just like 40, 50 people. Most of our people come to our main service Friday night, but Saturday mm -hmm. morning, we have a nice minion. It's very musical and it's almost entirely Hebrew, but it's very musical. And the conservative folks came to it and said, we tried it. We love your shul. This reform minion is not for us. And one of them came to me and said, what would it take for me to have, to have a room somewhere else on campus uh, to have a conservative minion with our prayer book? And well, we have a 16 acre campus with three buildings. <laughs> so I said to her, it would take nine other people. Uh, <laughs> and she couldn't believe it. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, that's how much it takes for a minion. You need not, you need 10. She said, that's it? I said, that's it. She said, done. So we started a conservative minion, and I thought they'd want to do it every Shabbos. Um, but right now, we're only doing it once a month uh, because that's what they want. And I lead it for them. And I love it because it reminds me of growing up. Yeah. And when I do my daily prayers, I use an Orthodox sitter. Because uh, that's that's just how I like to do it. The only time I ever use the Reform Sidor is Friday nights and Saturday mornings when I dive in with the congregation. All my other prayers I use uh, Renat Yisrael, Orthodox Sidor. Mm -hmm. um, so I love it, and I love leading it for them. Uh, and our goal is to build it into a, a weekly minion. Um, but we haven't, we're still, I guess it's in a nascent form. We still haven't gotten there yet, but we're, we're trying to. But 
what what they've recognized is if if they just have that one piece where they could have conservative davening, everything else in the reform shul suits them. Now, mm-hmm. one fair point though, reform has come a long way because when I was growing up, and we would go to a bar mitzvah at B'nai B'rith, you know, we would look at each other and say, "What is this? You know, I mean, this is nuts." You know, they're singing Aleinu in English, and they're singing prayers from, you know, songs from Fiddler on the Roof and calling them prayers. And we didn't know what was going on. Um, and okay, fine. So that wasn't necessarily for me, but that's um, that's classical reform. Mm-hmm. But we've come a long way since then, and I think people find at our shul that our prayers are almost entirely in Hebrew. Um, and it's, it makes people who grew up conservative feel more comfortable because it's more traditional. And, and that's also the way I teach. I teach from a, I teach Torah and preach Torah from a much more conservative bent. So uh, just to make one more point, at the Central Conference of American Rabbis uh, conference that I was at last week in, in, um, in Israel, we didn't really talk about this because most of my colleagues are much to the left of me. Oh. And even though ritually they might be, you know, it, it, it's ironic now because you look at a reform rabbi and there, in a lot of ways, ritually we're running to the right. Rabbis are wearing tefillin, rabbis are wearing kippot, rabbis are wearing uh, talesim. That was not very common, uh, you know, back then. You would never have seen, when I was growing up in the 80s, if you went to B'nai B'rith, you would never see the clergy wearing a kippah. Uh, they might not even have them in the building. Um, here at Beth Am, they had them and there was a sign, and people make fun of this, but there was a sign that said optionals. <laughs> uh, and people thought yarmulkes were called optionals because that was what was on the uh, on the sign. Um, but at the same time, while they're running ritually to the right, they're running to the left um, hushkophically, you know, uh, and and they're mostly concerned with transgender issues and not necessarily uh, so Zionist, although a lot are. There are a lot of reform rabbis who are very Zionist, but there are some who, you know, are having having real struggles with Israel. Um, and even before this new crazy government, even before that, they're having a lot of trouble with Israel. Um, and so they're not, they're probably not in any mood necessarily uh, to embrace uh conservative Judaism and to and to have um, more halakha in, in their shuls. Uh, but I am, and I see it as the future. And I yearn for a day where anyone who's not Orthodox um, can can feel comfortable in our synagogue. I think we're almost already there. We're building a mikvah uh, on our campus, which is really important and, and will send a great signal about, about who we sure. are. Wow. Uh, uh, and, you know, we really need one. Um, so we're we're doing that, um, but I, you know, we we had a conversation not too long ago when we started this building campaign, and we said, "Is Beth Am for everybody?" And I said, "No, it's not for everybody. If you're Orthodox, we cannot serve you. We have female clergy. Uh, we're mm-hmm. not our." Kashrut standards are not going to be to your standards. Our Shomer Shabbos standards are not going to be to your. We can't accommodate Orthodox Jews. I mean, they're welcome, but they won't like it. Um, we also can't accommodate non-Zionists or anti-Zionists. Um, we're a hundred percent pro-Zionist, uh, and we take a strong stance on that. And we have no tolerance for anti-Zionism here. Um, so if you're if you have trouble with Israel, if you're not supportive of a Jewish homeland in Israel then this isn't this isn't a good place for you. Um, but other than that, if you're Jewish, we think that this is a home for you. I'm ready to join. <laughs> the uh, the you you happen to mention uh, the transgender issue, uh, gay pride issue. You didn't mention that, but it it goes along with it. These social issues that are very important in our general society now, uh, but it seems like a lot of reform and conservative rabbis have gotten so caught up in those issues. I'm just saying, I think as rabbis and cantors and and synagogues, we should be teaching our people about halacha and we should be teaching them about Israel. And we should, that's where we should concentrate. 
I'm just wondering though, then is your congregation kind of an island uh, and you, you as the rabbi uh, within the reform conservative mix right now, or are there others out there that are similar? Um, Ritually, we probably are, although I think you're starting to see some mergers in smaller towns between Mm -hmm. reform and conservative schools um, for the sake of survival. Um, It also just makes sense. Um, So, look, we, um, gay rights and transgender rights are very important to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, we, we, you know, we have a governor is so ridiculous. Uh, and so intent on making culture wars the main issue that, uh, and, and because he's so harsh and and so unfair towards the LGBT community, we speak up. Um, uh, the president of our congregation is gay um, and the whole congregation, I believe. But I do think that there are those in the rabbinate, not, not everybody, there are those in the reform rabbinate who have made this issue akin to what the civil rights movement was, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And I don't think it's that. I think they've overemphasized the role that it needs to play in who we are and what we do. We are a million percent supportive of the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. We're welcoming and opening to them and we'll do whatever we can to help them. But it's not our, it's not our leading issue. Our leading issue is Judaism. I once had a group of stu- rabbinic students who came to visit me and they because they were studying our day school. And I had an hour to spend with them. And they were rabbis who were almost, or they were rabbinic students who were almost ready to be ordained and go out into the, into the field. And they could ask me anything they want. And in the hour of the 10 questions that they maybe had to ask me, nine of them had to do with transgender issues. And at one point I said, you know, the whole rabbinate does not hinge on this issue, which I thought was really funny. And they looked at me like I was a ghost. I mean, I meant it to be humorous. They mm-hmm. did not see the humor. I mean, this is this is a huge issue for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if that's what they want to spend time on, fine. It's an important issue. My much, much larger concern is that this new breed of rabbis is not, is not Zionist. And that they don't understand Israel. Uh, and they don't support Israel. That, to me, is a much greater concern. And I think you could debate what a rabbi's role is in transgender issues, but I would contend you cannot debate that a rabbi's job is, is to stand up forcefully for Israel. No matter who the president, no matter who the prime minister is, no matter how horrible the prime minister may be, or mm-hmm. the coalition, or the horrible things they say about reforming conservative Jews, it's our homeland. We support the the, the country, not not the politicians. This you know sort of woke culture that's taking over. Um, the newer generation is, is not so pro-Israel. And that really scares me. So, so to me, that's a much bigger problem. I'm in total agreement with you. I think that's what we need to concentrate on. So literally what what we're doing, uh, even here, because our congregation is, our Hebrew schools are merged with B'nai B'rith. Um, maybe, that's why I said 20, 30, maybe 40 years, that there will be more of a merger of of what so. used to be mainstream Jew- Jews. And I I applaud what you're doing down there. I mean, you you have so much going on on your campus. I think next time I'm in Miami, I need to come over. I so. hope you do. I hope you do. It's a, it's an exciting time. But, you know, I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, JTS and HUC, um, if they merged, I mean, the, the Talmud professors, the Bible professors, the homiletics professors, the um, pastoral counseling teachers, they're all teaching the same material. So, okay, so you have maybe a couple different classes where there's a reform responsive class and a conservative responsive class and a conservative halakha class and a reform halakha class. Um, not that there's reform halakha, but if there was, uh, you know. Um, so you could have a couple classes that are different, but the majority of the stuff could be the same. And mm-hmm. it would be a lot easier to maintain one campus and one set of faculty than than a whole bunch. Um, so, you know, it, it seems like we could be in the future taking steps. I don't know that's ever going to happen, but it, it it's feasible that that we could come closer and closer um, to to developing. You know, what what a- Isaac Mayer Wise always wanted to develop, which was, you know, he called his first prayer book Minhag America. 
and he thought that it was going to be for all Americans. And then, you know, the Orthodox said, what are you kidding? And ultimately the conservatives said, yeah, it's not for us either. Um, when they came about, but the idea was, couldn't we have one brand of Judaism for American Jews? And and it, it, we may be getting closer. Maybe so. Not for well, the Orthodox. No. For everyone else. Again, for again, else. for the rest of us, because... Uh, like I like I mentioned earlier, it seems sometimes like we're just kind of drifting around, and we don't we don't have a real focus on what we should be doing and focusing on. And you and you mentioned the Zionistic issue. I, I didn't I didn't realize you were as strong as you were. I should have. Uh, with your uh, that's like I mean, my mom's family was not so religious, although they were involved in the synagogue. My grandfather always sang in the synagogue, but Israel and Zionism, the labor Zionist movements, all this stuff, that's what they were focused on. And Yiddish culture, all these things that felt so, so Jewish uh, that uh, people just don't know anymore <laughs> and, and don't feel anymore unless they're more uh, immersed in it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Zionism for me is the whole ballgame. Uh, and I always start every interview with, if you don't want an ardent Zionist, do not hire me. Do not <laughs> hire me because I'm going to go to Israel all the time. I'm going to talk about Israel all the time. I'm super involved with APAC, AJC, Magin Davida Dome, JNF, uh, all of them. Uh, and, and I love them all. Well, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rabbi Barris, uh, for this great talk. We'll hopefully talk to you again in the future, and uh, I'll certainly visit when I come down to Miami. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you do. The water in the well, the reservoir of our past that nourishes us and holds us both to our history and to our determination. When Rachel and Rebecca extended their hospitality to their guests, it was the water from the well. And as the Israelites wandered through the desert to the promised land, the well followed them. When Miriam died, the well dried up and the Israelites had nothing to drink. Moses was told to touch the rock and Moses in a rage took his staff and hit the rock and out came a spring of water. This too was the well. Debbie Friedman sings her own composition, The Water in the Well. Water in the Well by composer and singer Debbie Friedman. Let's move on to our Middle East tradition. This language is Aramaic, Chazen Chaim Parchi, and it's from the Sephardic tradition. So let's listen a little bit more to Chadgadiya. Today on Jewish Community Radio, another new song for the Passover season. Our own Robin Helsner and trio sing Anu Banu, Shir Shalanu.
Time for one more piece of music so appropriate for Passover. Paul Zim singing Aglezala Lechayim. Aglezala Lechayim, es schat nicht nemen heint, wenn men sieht's bei a jontif dicken Verfreundschaft und verfreund, man soll ständig nur munter sein und frisch. A Gläserle Chaim, war jung und alt, was sitzen da, war jeder in Basunder, was sennen da mit uns nicht da. A Gläserle Chaim, ein Becher voll mit Wein, war die Sonne, sie soll ständig mit uns sein. Mein Toast wird sein als Sing, nur auf Simches war jeder in Funach. A Gläserle Chaim, war Vater und war Kind, wenn man trinkt, werden wir alle gleich. A Gläserle Chaim, nicht aufstehen soll von uns nicht ein, ein Wolkentägen leben, in der mich doch es soll nicht sein. A Gläserle Chaim, euch trinken ist Gedeih, wenn man sitzt mit die Freiheit auf das Nein. Für Israel unser Land, über uns soll der Himmel gucken rein. Ich wünsche euch noch einmal, mit der Schmeichel auf die Lippen sollt ihr gehen. Bei Gläsen soll nicht ständig rein. 
und Schreck und Morisch heure und so hore, sondern Leib und Teck von Glick und Naches, was jederin gefällt und verschollen auf der ganzen Welt. Paul Zim singing Al-Klazelachayim, of course we'll do four of them for Passover. Seriously speaking, out of the original events of Passover emerged the longest-standing empire. Not an empire of territory, but an empire of thought, Jewish thought. It is an empire whose rule has spanned three and one-half thousand years. The story of Passover is the story of the beginnings of the Jewish people, a new people that set out to form a new world with a new morality and new concepts of life. The old world was a pagan one, where war and violence were not always ways of life, but often national pastimes. The world the Jew ushered in includes such ideas as equal rights, universal education, peace to mankind, and social responsibilities. We know that every Jewish holiday is a lesson in life. Passover is a lesson in freedom. Estelle Deutsch Abraham here, closing this edition of Jewish Community Radio, joining our sponsors and thanking you for being with us today. Thank you for your time, your encouragement, and support of our radio effort. We do plan each program to reflect each one of you in our community because you're part of that rich heritage of Jewish thought and Jewish music. I'm inviting you to keep in touch, share your thoughts about our program, because today we have shared something most important, the continuation of the voice of our people. So until next time, I'm looking forward to it. Let's just say Lehitraot, have a fine week, a gutavoch, buona semana, and Shavuatov, Chag Sameach. <laughs>